Blog Talk Radio. Given what most Americans believe, the next statement may be more shocking than any previous. The fact is, the United States is not a country, but a corporation contractually created by the Constitution. Your state is a country, per the law, and your original citizenship is of that country. Our founders instituted themselves to be first and foremost citizens of their respective states. As of 1787, those states already had formed a union, and they created the Constitution for the purpose of perfecting that union in forming a national government. They did not intend that the new nation have any jurisdiction or powers over the states or their citizens that were not specifically enumerated in the Constitution. They stated this point quite clearly in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17 of the Constitution. They granted the United States exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever over such district not exceeding 10 miles square as may become the seat of the government of the United States, our District of Columbia, and to exercise authority over all places purchased by the consent of the states. And that is all. The framers further secured the rights of the people with the Ninth and Tenth Amendments in the Bill of Rights. In the Ninth, they established that the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And in the Tenth, they made clear that the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively, or to the people. The only way the federal government can have any jurisdiction beyond these constitutional clauses is by written permission or contract, which leads us to another piece of the puzzle, the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, ratified in 1868 following the Civil War. As barbaric as it may sound today, the black slaves prior to the conclusion of the Civil War were legally considered to be property with none of the rights or privileges of free-born people only duties. The money interests took advantage of America's desire to free the slaves and found a way to use the swiftly adopted post-war constitutional amendments to enslave all of the people. The deceit is in the wording of both the 13th and 14th Amendments. You will note that the 13th Amendment provides that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States. But why the emphasis on involuntary servitude? Isn't it the same thing as slavery? Sure it is. But they had to mention the concept of involuntary servitude because they wished to retain another type of slavery, voluntary servitude. Voluntary servitude is an ancient and established concept. It was the way serfs became subjects to their lords during feudal times in England and other European countries. It was a way for free men to earn a living at a time when all property was held by a select few, and thus anyone who wanted to farm and support their family had first to agree to be subject to a lord of the land. Our forefathers hated this concept and designed our Constitution to exclude titles of nobility, making all Americans sovereign. The 14th Amendment turned the intention of the founders on its ear by making voluntary servitude a requirement for former slaves to gain the rights already guaranteed to free-born 
United States citizens. When the slaves were released from their involuntary servitude following the war, their status was changed from that of being property to that of being a person, but being a person still entitled them to none of the rights associated with citizenship. So the 14th Amendment ostensibly was written to provide the former slaves with the same constitutional rights of freeborn American citizens, but only if they agreed first to become subject to the jurisdiction of the corporate United States, making oneself paramountly, that is, first subject to the jurisdiction of the laws of the United States, however, limits access to parts of the Bill of Rights, as we'll explain in a moment. But first remember, anyone who voluntarily subjects himself to the laws or jurisdiction of another is, in every way, obligated to abide by the terms of any contracts or laws established by whomever establishes the rules of the contract. In simple terms, this meant that the former slaves became subjects first to the United States and secondly to the state in which they lived. They had no sovereignty whatsoever. This status had never existed in the United States prior to that time. The 14th Amendment created a new class of citizenship in the United States, a second-class citizenship. Up until 1868, every American was a paramount citizen of their state, and by virtue of that, also a citizen of the United States, with full individual sovereignty as guaranteed by Amendments 9 and 10 in the Bill of Rights. But so-called naturalized citizens, or 14th Amendment citizens, are paramountly subject to all laws of the United States, and, having no status as freeborn citizens, have no access at all to the unenumerated rights retained for the people by Articles 9 and 10 of the Bill of Rights. That's because, in order to get any rights at all, they had to subject themselves to the jurisdiction of the corporate United States, which left them no unenumerated rights. The only rights they had were those specifically written into the Constitution. The sad tragedy of America today is that all U.S. citizens, regardless of race, are now 14th Amendment slaves due to contracts with the government of the United States through Social Security, birth certificates, driving licenses, citizenship statements, tax forms, and many other documents. The true paramount citizenship that all Americans deserve is that of their respective state, which is a sovereign citizenship. Such status would exempt them from federal and state income taxes, as well as property and inheritance taxes. This sovereign citizenship was the status held by our forefathers. Now, if you're still thinking that the U.S. government needs to have a central bank and collect income tax or it will collapse, think again. Over two-thirds of the federal government's income is derived from sources other than income tax. There is even evidence suggesting that none of your income tax is used by the government. Fees, excise taxes, tariffs, sales taxes, and other forms of income have easily supported the U.S. budget in the past and could easily support it now. We have done without a national bank for large stretches of our history, and the U.S. Treasury is perfectly capable of printing and managing a money supply. In fact, the only constitutionally sanctioned currency is backed by gold, or other precious metals. This is a far more stable form of currency and is the type of money the Treasury was designed to handle. 
The government was doing so well collecting money under these original laws that it had amassed a huge surplus by the time this cartoon was penned a hundred years later in 1887, when there still was no income tax collected at all. Up to this point, we have shown you how the money interests have, one, established the Federal Reserve System, and two, exploited a second class of citizenship created by the 14th Amendment for other purposes. And we have mentioned a few names involved in the creation of the Fed. But there are other organizations working for our economic enslavement as well, along with other extremely rich and powerful international bankers. Those who support the Fed have created a global movement to centralize economic power in various puppet organizations that preach peace and stability through some variation of socialism, but act aggressively to draw nations into a web of foreign debt and servitude to their agenda. The United Nations, the World Monetary Fund, and the Council on Foreign Relations are all committed to an agenda of world domination through manipulation of economic power. The Council on Foreign Relations openly admits to being a private club, yet it is the primary recruiting post in both international banking and the federal government of the United States. Richard Nixon, Nelson Rockefeller, John Foster Dulles, Dean Rusk, Alger Hiss, Robert S. McNamara, and every president since FDR, with the exception of John Kennedy, have been members of this exclusive club where super financiers and your elected representatives can mix freely and plan the next step in the consolidation of power in a new world order. Uh, the mighty set. Santana, what's up? It's more like a movement you need to be in tune with. Killer the dawn, what's good? Crack music, crack. Sentimental had cocaine in the rent Avis. Nothing sweet but all my sweets are presidential Dead yep. presidents, I'm done with residential What I mean, man, I bought my own zip code oh. 
Leave me alone, I go flip mode Don't care if you black with a big nose White with pink toes Just how the shit goes The kid with the sick flow Jewelry, got Bruce Leroy Slash Slick Rick Glow Fuck is you, Negro This crazy Tune in every Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on the bottom line with Joey L. On the new Evolution Radio Network. All right, all right, all right. What's happening? Peace to the gods. Welcome to the show. Right here on the bottom line. Call the number is 515, area code uh, 602-9793. That's 515-602-9793. You are live. Um, and if you want to holler at me, make sure that you press 1 get yourself in the call. All right? So, um, and let's just be clear. Um, I'm not doing as long shows as I used to um, because I want to get straight to the point. And so if you're just now calling in, you haven't missed anything, because um, they gave me a hard time getting in anyways. All right, so let's get right to it tonight. I want to talk about uh, trust injunctions. Um, and to be clear, when I do the seminar uh, that's coming up in New York, I've got a couple of seminars coming up. So when I do the seminar in New York, which is going to be at the Carbon Juice Lounge, um, let me just give you all the information for these seminars right quick before we get into it. So uh, Carbon Juice Lounge is uh, 2154 2nd Avenue, New York, New York. Um, you can buy tickets at the door. All right, we'll be there. Um, that's hosted by my man Shaka, um, and that's at the Carbon Juice Lounge. That's Saturday, July 8th, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. That's July 8th, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. All right, um, and then we have another seminar coming up later in July which is going to be uh, in Miami. Um, and that one is at the uh, residence in Marriott Surfside. The address for that one is 9200 Collins Avenue. Um, that one is uh, July the 22nd, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can also get tickets at the door um, or in advance. Um, if you have questions, um, you can call the number that's on the flyer. All right. We will be going deeper into this subject uh, when we – or at the seminar, so I can actually show y'all um, in person how this is done as well. All right, so let's let's just jump into it tonight. So we're talking about the nature of doing injunctions for your trust, and this this is probably um, one of the more controversial subjects for people because there are so many different types of trust. Okay. And when we start talking about trust, we have to remember that trusts are public trust, and then there are private trust. There are statutory, or statutory, excuse me, statutory trust and constitutional trust. 
right? And, and so the constitutionality of your trust, um, it, it, it greatly depends upon how you set your trust up. And so I want to remind people that the way that you set your trust up, okay, will also help determine the level of protection that it has, okay? Now, the, the whole point of us doing a, an injunction for the trust um, is to help protect the private property of the trust, right? Now, a lot of people are, are you know, a lot of people have done injunctions, and that's fine. Um, and that is an injunction for yourself personally. But you have to remember that an injunction is needed um, for your trust, right? Because your trust is an actual person in, in many, many circumstances, right? So I like to use what's known as the Hague Convention. A lot of people overlook the Hague Convention, and, and we all have overlooked the Hague Convention um, for what it truly represents, right? And I know most people have been told, well, we just use the Hague Convention for, you know, for our birth certificates, right? But we need to understand what the Hague Convention is so we can really get into this, right? And so understanding the Hague Convention, right, deals with protection of children, first of all, okay? And it deals with cooperation, right, in respect to um, the what we call the inter Adoption Convention, which is an international agreement that was done to help safeguard adoptions, okay? So... It deals with children, okay? It deals with minors. It deals with, with those who have not reached the legal age of majority, okay? The, the ability to contract, right? So in 1993, on May the 29th, the Hague Convention was, was done in the Netherlands, right? The convention essentially established a standard or a protocol, if you will, um, for adoptions, okay, and how this was supposed to be done. So the United States signed the convention in 1994, okay? So the convention then entered into full force in the United States on April the 1st, 2008, okay? Now, the convention applies to all adoptions, right, when we talk about U.S. citizens, okay? Um, Habitually, people who, who reside in what they call, quote, the United States, Right, deals with children in the United States, and remember, they consider you to be a minor, right? Consider you to be part of the majority, right? Especially depending upon your your nationality, they really consider you to be less than, right? And so, this is one of the reasons why a trust is so important, especially if you have authenticated your birth certificate, because what happens is is that, um. You essentially have put yourself in a position where you're letting them know that you are not a minor and that you can control your own commercial affairs. But then where's your protection? So understand, and I know that, you know, we're talking about adoption, right? But adoption is very important because what do you think was done to you at your point? You were adopted. So adopt a child or a minor, okay, from a convention country, essentially any country that has 
become a signatory or a signer in many ways is adopting a child from a country, right? That's not party to the convention. So there's some key differences here. And in particular, those that seek to adopt or seek to uh, be emancipated, if you will, need to have some type of protection. Okay? And so when we when we really start looking at the Hague Convention for what it took, and really the Hague Convention goes, it actually goes back to the 1800s. And you can go back to 1899 and 1907, right, um, where they did a series of treaties and declarations um, basically that negotiated international peace conferences and things like that. So the Hague's been around for a while, but the Hague was essentially put into place in the 90s uh, to, to really deal with adoption. Okay? So, um, and, and I want to be clear on this as, as we dive into this subject. Now, um, and, and I'll just give, I want to give y'all a, a working understanding here. So, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to pull up just a second. Okay. So I want to talk about equitable relief when it comes to um, when it comes to protections, right? And as we dive into this, you'll understand that equitable relief applies to your trust as well, right? And so there's tort law and then there's contract law. Okay? So under tort law, right? We talk about injunctions, tort injunctions. Um, there's no adequate remedy at law. Okay. Um, enforcement is what they call feasible. Okay. And then the balancing of equities, essentially, um, which, which deals with no undue hardship on a defendant as a result of an injunction. So, this takes us to what we talk about as specific performance, right? And specific performance, and I, I want to give you a working definition of it. Okay, just a second. Y'all stick with me because I'm I'm building a house, right? We gotta we gotta have a solid foundation here, so. Specific performance deals with the performance of a contractual duty as ordered in cases where damages would not be adequately um, remedied, remedied, if you will, right? So, um, a specific performance deals with contracts, okay? So, specific performance is an equitable remedy that you have, okay, when there's a contract. And so, understanding that everything is a contract. Just like an injunction is a contract, a trust is a contract, okay? and courts abide by the contract. So an injunction, quite often, concerning confidential information or real property, is a type of uh, subset or specific performance, and basically is one of the more commonly used forms of specific performance, is injunctions. So while specific performance can be in the form of any type of, quote, forced action, whether it's forced by you or forced by a court, or, um, because remember, you, you are your own judge, right? So it is usually to complete a previously established transaction. 
thus being the most effective remedy in protecting the expectation okay um of the innocent party okay so it's usually the opposite of a prohibitory injunction. And so we're not talking about prohibitory injunctions, okay? But there are mandatory injunctions that have similar effects as the specific performance. So when you do a injunction for your trust, you are doing a little bit of both. You, 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 you're, you're creating a specific performance for somebody to perform an act, right? And then at the same time, you're asking them to prohibit somebody from performing an act, okay? Now, at common law, when you talk about common law, right, and um, the courts of equity deal with, with common law, right, and they deal with specific performance, and you deal with damages, things like that. So specific performance is often guaranteed through the remedy of a right of possession, giving the plaintiff the right to take possession of the property. So how do you protect your property? And this is what we essentially you know, or getting down to is protecting your property. So as with all equitable remedies, right, specific performance are discretionary. So their availability depends on um, the appropriateness of the circumstance. So what is the circumstance at hand that essentially um, calls for you to be protected? Okay? And we talked about this too before, right, with protected persons, right? You cannot um, be harmed and 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 threatened and put in danger, right? Um, you know, really by anyone, especially if there's an injunction in place. Here's where we get into, you know, the details of this, right? As with all equitable remedies, specific performances are discretionary, so their availability depends upon the appropriateness of the circumstance. All right, so I like to use the Hague Convention especially when I'm talking about doing trust. And I'm going um, to go into the different articles here so that you can understand how this thing works, okay? So the Hague Convention on the law of what they call applicable laws to trust, right? And it deals with the recognition of your trust. So here and after it's referred to as the Hague Convention on Trust, it was uh, proposed that the state um, or the parties that signed it, right, they called it the final act of the 15th session of the Hague Convention, that was basically what they called the Conference on Private International Law. So now we're talking about private law, which is what it, it boils down to, okay? So the convention came into force on January the 1st, 1992, with ratifications by Australia, Italy and the United Kingdom. It is since ratified um, or acceded to by Canada, partially China, okay, uh, Liechtenstein, Luxembourg, which Germany, okay, uh, Malta, uh, Monaco, the Netherlands, San Marino, and Switzerland. Okay, this is why we talk about international banking and money and stuff like that. This is where a lot of this comes into play at. So the United States of America signed the convention June 13, 1988. But it's not yet ratified the convention, and therefore the convention has not become legally binding, um, you know, or, or on certain entities in the United States. And this is why your trust must have an injunction. 
So this takes me to what's known as the Uniform Trust Code, okay, which is first composed for adoptions by individual states um, of the United States by the U.S. National Conference on Commissioners on the Uniform State Laws in, in the year of 2000, okay? So the primary purpose of this article, right, that I'm reading from right now is to help you understand what the UTC is and why the Hague Trust Convention uh, you know, is even a thing. Okay? So the Hague Trust Convention, it, it, it officially, it, it it was put in place to recognize trust in the United States or any or anywhere else. <clears throat> so I want to I'm going to read each article, um, and then we'll take a break and then we'll come back because there's there's a lot to this and I don't want to I don't want to confuse people. Okay, so. Right off the bat, okay, there's the nature of the trust. So the preamble to the convention notes that, quote, the trust as developed in courts of equity and common law jurisdictions and adopted with some modifications in other jurisdictions as a unique legal institution. So right off the bat, your trust is what's known as a legal institution. So what am I saying here? I'm encouraging you to understand the power of the trust. Okay? You define a trust because they can't define a trust, and nobody can define what the trust is except for you. And this is why we use things like treaties, constitutions, preambles, things like that, right? And and this is one of the reasons why I told you all early on it's best to put um, quotations in your trust to help people understand what the trust is. What's the purpose of the trust? Okay? Article 2 of the convention provides that for purposes of the convention, the term trust refers to the legal relationship as created into vivos or on the death of a person, right? Um, it deals with the settler when assets have been placed under control of a trustee for the benefit of a beneficiary or a specific purpose. Now, the UTC section 402 provides that a trust is created only if the settler has the capacity to create a trust. So where's your mental capacity? Do you have the mental capacity to create a trust? So, and, and that's a big question, um, you know, that comes into play. You start talking about guardians at litem, guardianship and shit like that, right? Does this individual have the legal capacity? Right now, the thing about it is, and, I, and I'll say this, like I, and I've always said this shit, right? Nobody controls my shit. You, I control my shit. You control your shit, right? You know, my old man used to tell me, he used to say, infringing on your rights is also an infringement upon my own rights, right? So don't go infringing on other people's rights with your trust, right? Respect my shit, I respect yours. That's it. It's that, it goes both ways. That's how you say it, right? So the UTC Section 402 provides that a trust is created only if the settler has the capacity to create a trust. So the settler indicates an intention to create the trust. So the trust has a 
uh, a definite beneficiary or is a charitable trust, right? Which is a trust that um, is created for the care of an, a- of an animal. Okay. And by the way, if you have animals, I recommend that you um, put your your animals into your trust, right? Protect your animals. You have to, right? Um, or trust for a non-charitable purpose, right? That's provided in Section 409. Right, so the trustee has duties to perform, and the same person is not the sole trustee or the sole beneficiary. So, understanding that what I'm reading to you is the Hague Convention on Trust because it deals with your trust. Okay? Now, Article 2 of the convention also states that the trust has the following three characteristics. Number one, the assets constitute a separate fund. And they're not part of the trustee's own estate. Number two, title to the trust asset stand in the name of the trustee or in the name of another person on behalf of the trustee. And three, the trustee has the powers and the duties in respect of which he is accountable to manage, employ, or dispose of the assets in accordance with the terms of the trust. Right? So how how are you... Um, Disposing of your assets, right? You have assets. You know, your body is an asset, right? If you put uh, uh, insurance on your trust or insurance, because you can actually add life insurance to your trust, believe it or not. If you don't know how to do it, hit me up and I'll show you how it's done. You can add life insurance to your trust, and I recommend that you do, right? I recommend that everybody has life insurance, right? Especially whole life insurance. Because this is another way to help uh, with the injunctions. Because the thing is, is that do you realize that you become more valuable, your life becomes more valuable when there's insurance placed on your life. That's the first part of it. But not only do you become more valuable, but what happens essentially is that um, the, the powers that be, if you will, essentially look at your life as being worth more. So you're worth more. Right? And because you're worth more, they have more of an incentive to not only keep you alive, but they have an incentive to make sure that you're protected. You understand that? And this is why they they just like tell you to put insurance on your cars, you know, and on your excuse me, or your cars and, and on your your house and, and, you know, tangible shit, right? But the most tangible thing that I would say that is around that's important is your body. Okay? So, um, the UTC does not use the phrase separate fund, right? <laughs> Which means that it's all inclusive, Okay? Go to the next one, right? Article 3 of the convention provides that the convention applies only to trust created voluntarily and evidenced in writing, which means that you have to put this shit in writing. Now, when you do your injunctions for your trust, I'm essentially telling you that you might want to use the head convention because the head convention deals with trust and how trust can be protected. So when you're doing an injunction, you're following international law. 
there's the I what they call it the um the IJC International or ICJ International Court of Justice, right? International Court of Justice is not protecting U.S. citizens. Why do you think they never stepped in on race matters? International Court of Justice are protecting nationals. They're protecting trust. They are protecting international assets. So for you to become an international asset, protection of a trust, and you must be following the international treaties and conventions that were put in place for trust. So uh, while the Uniform Trust Code allows for the possibility of what they call an oral trust, it does not contradict the convention in respect of written trust. So Article 20 of the convention provides that, quote, any contracting state, a.k.a. your trust, may at any time declare that the provisions of the convention will be extended to trust declared by judicial decisions. Perhaps such trust could encompass oral trust recognized by judicial decisions. You do realize that oral trust is you just having a conversation, it's you talking, right? So, and, and I'll give you an example. Right now, I declare that myself, my person, uh, my soul, my, uh, my, you know, my, my being, my essence, they're all, all protected under my express trust. That's an oral trust. And then you follow that up in writing, and you put it in writing. That's, and, and that's essentially how it's done, right? Now, Article 4 of the convention provides that it does not apply to the preliminary issues relating to the validity of wills or other acts by virtue of uh, which assets are transferred to the trustee. So the Uniform Trust Code does not contain a similar express provision limiting the scope of the validity of wills. So wills are important, right? And, and the wills deal with, with property that's transferred to a trustee. So um, it's always important to have a will and to place the, the contents of the will into the trust, right? However, nothing in the Uniform Trust Code <coughs> supplements provisions of the Uniform Probate Code, right? Um, or other local probate law. So, and, and this is the reason why you, you don't want to have something where uh, you've never put anything in writing, and so let's, let's say that you, you pass and, and shit goes intestate. You don't want that to happen because if it goes intestate, all of your stuff ends up in probate, all right, because you didn't write anything down. Very important. All my shit's written down. My shit is, you know, my, my shit's in trust. Right, I don't plan on dying no time soon. Right, I plan on living a long life, which I hope that you do as well. But in the event that something unfortunate happens, you want to make sure this shit is written down properly. You feel what I'm saying? Now, when we get to, uh, if you come to the seminar, right, which I hope that some of y'all do come to the seminars, right, we're gonna go through this in really deep detail, and I'll show you how I've done my own trust injunction, right? Now, Article 6, just a second, y'all, my, my dog's barking, let me, just a moment, all right, so, Article 6, right, when we, we deal with Article 6 of the convention, all right, Article 6 essentially 
uh, introduces the convention's provisions regarding applicable law. Okay, so Article Six provides that the trust shall be governed. Check it out. A trust shall be governed by the law chosen by the settler. Let me say it again. A trust shall be governed by the law chosen by the settler. So further, it provides that where the law chosen by the settler does not provide for trust or the category of trust involved, the choice shall not be effective and the law specified in Article 7 shall apply. So I need to reiterate this because I think that this is extremely important. If you do not specify, If you do not specify the, the law that you want your trust to be governed by, they will, they'll do it for you. Do you understand that? They'll do the shit for you. So Article 7 of the Convention provides that where no applicable law has been chosen, a trust shall be governed by the law of which it is most closely connected. Y'all get that? So, and I think that this is really important too because when we start talking about um, Muslim law, things like that, right? Right? And salam alaikum to to all my Muslims. But when when you start talking about um, law, right, you need to choose the most peaceful law, right? And this is why we chose the Treaty of Peace and Friendship, right, as a treaty. But you need to choose the most peaceful laws. Hell, if you need to choose the law of Buddha, right, for peace, right? I'm not telling you to become a monk. I'm not telling you to take a vow of 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 uh, of, of of poverty or anything like that. What I'm telling you to do is to choose. Hell, if you need to create your own, you do that. But you need to choose the most peaceful of laws, because what's going to happen is that if you don't, they're going to choose the shit for you. These motherfuckers will try to hang you. They'll try to say that, that, that you uh, uh, committed treason when you when all you was trying to do was protect your personal property. This is how these people think. So it's important for you to understand, overstand, understand Article 6 Convention when you're talking about your trust. Okay? Article 7 will choose the shit for you if you don't. So a trust shall be governed by the law in which it is most closely connected. Relevant factors include the place of administration of the trust designated by the settler, the situs of the assets of the trust, which means what did you put into the trust? What did you put into the trust when when you decided that you was going to create this model? Okay? So there's that. The relevant factors include the place of administration of the trust, designated by the settler, the situs of the trust, the place of residence or business of the trustee, and the objects of the trust and places where they are to be fulfilled. I keep trying to tell you. You judge, jury, and executioner. You are. Not another man, not another woman. You are. The individual. Listen, I created the trust. I created my own express trust. Okay, I got several of them. I created the tribal trust. Right? I'm not giving another man or woman permission over me. No, we're not doing that. 
So if I don't do it, somebody else will. Okay? So um, Uniform Trust Code Section 107, it provides that the meaning and the effect of the terms of the trust are determined by the law of the jurisdiction designated in terms unless the designation of that jurisdiction's law is contrary to a strong public policy of the jurisdiction having the most significant relationship to the matter at issue or two, in the absence of a controlling designation in terms of the trust, the law of the jurisdiction having the most significant relationship to the matter at issue. This is why, you know, I did the um, the webinars uh, about a year ago on treaties, which unfortunately had low numbers. But you know, people people don't understand what they don't. You know, you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know what you need if you don't know that you need it. Right? And that's just the unfortunate part about some of this shit. All right. Now, um, UTC Section 107 also states that this section is consistent with and partially patterned on the Hague Convention on the law applicable to trust and their recognition signed on July 1st, 1985. So like this section, the Hague Convention allows the settler to designate the governing law, Article 6 of the Convention. Absent a designation, the Convention provides that the trust is to be governed by the law of the place having the closest connection to the trust. Okay? Extremely important. Now, you could take, and if you haven't done this, I recommend that you do it as soon as possible. Okay? This is contract law. You decide this shit, not them. Right? Because you got some rogue officials out here, right, who want to control you. They want to control your assets. They want to control how you move. So the comment also goes to Article 15 of the convention, right, which lists particular public policies for which the forum can decide to override the choice of law that would otherwise apply. So this takes me to Article 8. Article 8 of the convention lists matters to which the law specified in Article 6 and Article 7 of the convention should be governed. So in general, um, the concerns or whatever, you know, this deals with the validity of your trust. It deals with the uh, construction of the trust. It deals with the effects of your trust. Right in the administration of your trust. So, so you say, well, why are you talking about um, the Hague Convention if we're talking about doing injunctions? Because the Hague Convention tells you how to do your injunction for your trust, the resignation, the removal of trustees, the capacity to act as a trustee, uh, the devolution of the office of the trustee, the rights and the duties of trustees among themselves the right to trustees to delegate in whole or in part the discharge of their duties or the exercise of their powers, the powers of the trustees to administer or depose of trust assets, to create security interest in the trust assets. So there's, there's your securities right there, right? Or to acquire new assets, the power of investment of trustees, restrictions upon the duration of trust. Um, and by the way, BOEs, bills of exchange, Bills of exchange are created through trust that are not – we're not talking about um, a, a, a statutory trust. We're talking about 
private trust also deals with the personal liability of the trustees. Okay? Personal liability to the beneficiaries, the variation of termination of trust, the distribution of trust assets, the duty of trustees to the accounts for the administration. You see how all of this comes into play? Okay? <clears throat> so this is very broad when we talk about this, but this list clearly encompasses issues about the validity of the trust and the administration of a trust that do not basically fall within the scope of what we call choice of law provisions, okay, which basically concern the choice of law for issues dealing with the meaning uh, of the terms of a trust, okay? So, and it can be, it's, it's broad, right? So, under the Uniform Trust Code, issues regarding whether a trust has been validly created are determined by the Uniform Trust Code, Section 403, in the authority of a settler to designate a trust principle of administration and, then, and thereby uh, implicitly the law applicable to the administration. So it's all governed under UTC Section 108A. Okay? So Section 403 of the UTC is said, and this is, this is what it says, it provides, quote, that a trust not created by will is validly created if its creation complies with the laws of the jurisdiction in which the trust instrument was executed or the law of the jurisdiction in which at the time of creation, number one, the settler was domiciled or had a place of abode or was a national. You want me to, I'll read it again. The settler was domiciled, had a place of abode, or was a national. Are you a national? Does it make sense? You know, if you're a national, right? Number two, a trustee was domiciled or had a place of business, or three, any trust property was located. <clears throat> it must be conceded then that the extent, Article 6 of the convention, with the application of Article 8 of the convention, allows a settler to designate the law of the jurisdiction to govern questions about the validity of the trust. Okay? This shit is so straightforward. Uh, by the way, if you want to holler at me, make sure that you press 1 so I can get you in my queue. Okay? We will open it up for questions. <clears throat> All right? Now, Article 7 of the convention, right, the law of trust, when a settler has not made a direction about governing law, right? So, you need to make a direction about how your trust is governed. If you need to go back and change some shit, I recommend that you do. Right? Well, you know, when I saw this, this immediately made me say, okay, I got to change some things in terms of how my trust is governed. Do you want to, listen, you want to be protected by the full force of the law, right? And if you need to put in special protections, then you do that, right? Protected people, things like that. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an, an example. I was watching this movie. Um, it was called um, The Emperor. Right? It's a pretty good movie. I recommend you check it out. It's, it's on like TV and shit like that. But So, the emperor of Japan was a protected person. Right, They had him under United States protection um, up until 
they bombed Nagasaki. And so when they bombed Nagasaki, if you were familiar with the history of, of Japan and the bombing, when they bombed Nagasaki and all of that, um, Japan surrendered. Okay? So when Japan surrendered after the bombing, um, the emperor under President Roosevelt lost his protection of the, under the United States. <clears throat> and, they, and they decided that they wanted to hang him. Right, and so they started arresting officials in Japan, and they went on a manhunt for the emperor of Japan. Even though the people of Japan were still praising the emperor, like, "Nah, this is this is our dude," right? But they went on a manhunt to go hang him. I need y'all to get this. They tried to hang the emperor. How you the emperor, and they trying to hang you, right? Now we're talking about uniform trust code. Right, we're talking about the Hague Convention, which went back all the way into the 1800s. Okay, just think, had Japan had, you know, and Japan, trust me, they got trust set up in Japan. They, they, they. Do. But just think, if if Japan was operating under uh, the auspices, right, at that time, um, under a peace convention or under the the Treaty of Peace and Friendship. I think the United States has always had the protection. I'm talking about the corporation. Why do you think they've always had the protection of the empire in Morocco? Because because they chose for the supreme law to be the treaty of peace and friendship. They chose the supreme law to be the treaty of peace and friendship. Which means that their trust indenture, their declaration of trust, right, always stays in place. You can't touch them. Can't touch this. Nah, 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 nah. You know, they MC, they on MC Hammer shit. Right? So, um, Section 403, right, it gives a range of options for the validity of the trust, right? And, and it's pretty broad in ranges of determining under Article 7 of the convention the laws of the trust when the settler has not made a direction about the governing law. Okay, so UTC section 403 allows us options, the law of the jurisdiction where the settler was domiciled. Okay, so remembering that a settler of an intervivals trust can effectively choose any law the settler wishes to govern the trust under. <clears throat> right, it deals with the questions about the validity of the trust by making sure that the settler executes the trust instrument in the jurisdiction whose law the settler performs to govern the questions of the trust validity. You know, when we deal with this and, and you indicate, and I, I need to be, be clear here, you need to indicate how your trust is governed. Okay. Um, hopefully they can they plan okay, just a second. They plan with my phone now. Alright, so um when we get into to section eight, um you know, we, we have to you gotta give me just a moment here. Cause they they're messing with my phone. Apologize on the delay. messing with my phone and all of that. 
pulling up windows and shit. It's crazy. I, you know, and one of the reasons I, I know a lot of people were wondering why I hadn't been on the radio as much is a lot of it's because they was messing with me up my technology and, you know, I just got tired of that shit, man. So I took a break for a while, um, you know, and I just, you know, you, you get tired of them fucking with your shit, you know, and, and, and they do this, you know, and then I, I um, I get another phone and they they mess with it and that and, you know it's just a lot of bullshit. So remember that even your phones, you got to put them under under your trust too because they'll fuck with your phone lines. Don't think that they won't. Okay, I've had other other people tell me they've experienced these problems as well. All right, so let me keep going though. All right, section one hundred eight A provides that uh, without precluding other means for establishment. Um, or establishing a sufficient connection with the designated jurisdiction, a settler's designation of the trust's principal place of administration is valid and controlling if, number one, a trustee's principal place of business is located in or in a trustee's uh, resident of the designated jurisdiction. Excuse me. Uh, two, all the part of the administration occurs in, designation, in the designated jurisdiction, which means that uh, you need to be living in the jurisdiction where your trust was set up at. And then, <clears throat> like this, if you decide to travel or something like that, you put it, you put uh, injunctions in place, you know, for your ability to travel. This is one of the reasons why um, when it was first taught, when Dunn first started teaching people about injunctions years ago, he used to tell people, send your injunctions to different places, Right. That was a very good thing to tell people because what happens is, is that when you go different places, you don't want to be fucked with. I don't want you fucking with me if I decide, you know, that I want to take a road trip four or five states away. I want to be protected uh, a thousand miles away, a hundred thousand miles away. I want to be protected the same anywhere around the world as if I was at home where I set up my trust. Okay. So, the administration and the interest of the beneficiaries is always important, right? So, the choices under UTC Section 108, um, they're not very broad, right? But theoretically, when we start talking about Article 7 of the convention, trustees would have under Section uh, 108C broad authority without court approval. Let me say that again. A trustee has broad authority without court approval to move the place of administration to a place directed by the terms of the trust at least as long as no qualified beneficiaries object. See, this is why I keep trying to tell you, you don't need people asking, well, how do you do an injunction without having a judge do it? Because you are the judge. Three notaries make a judge. Three notaries make a judge. You, you can put an affidavit together and have it signed three different times by three different notaries and put it into your trust, and that confirms that that there was a judgment in place. Now, it doesn't protect, um, you know, ill will, and it doesn't protect you doing bullshit and stuff like that, because they, they will find a way to circumvent and pierce your shit, right? They will pierce the darkness, if you will, right? And you don't have time for that. Right? Now, um, even though the right of the settler of the trust is designated by the governor law of the trust, 
under Article 6 of the Convention is not absolute, okay? Because the form contains the right to apply its own laws in certain key areas of concern, okay? And this is what I'm saying, whereas if you, if you venture out to, to hurt somebody um, or to damage property, right, things like that, then yeah, you're going to have these people come in and step in and, and they, they're going to attempt to pierce the trust. But the convention does not prevent <coughs> the application of those provisions of the law of the form in which must be applied, even though international situations, irrespective of the rules of conflict, of laws, and all that stuff, right? Okay? So, just keep that in mind. Okay? So, um, I'm going to jump to Article 11. Okay? And Article 11 of the convention establishes the criteria for determining what a trust listen closely it, it establishes the criteria for determining what trust the treaty's jurisdiction must recognize even if the trust is established in another jurisdiction or the treaty's jurisdiction does not have the legal institution of the trust in its own law I'll read it again article 11 Establishes the criteria for determining what trust a treaty jurisdiction must recognize, even if the trust is established in another jurisdiction. Okay, so a trust created in accordance with the law specified by the preceding chapter, chapter two, which sets forth the applicable law it governs, um, shall be recognized as a trust. So such recognition shall imply as a minimum that the trust property constitutes a separate fund. That the trustee must sue or may sue and be sued in his capacity as a trustee, and that he may appear or act in the capacity before a notary or any other person acting in official capacity. What I say about a notary, see, it's not me just saying this shit. This is what it actually is. You did, as I stated previously, <clears throat> the Uniform Trust Code does not phrase. It does not use the phrase separate fund. Okay? So such concept is inherent in the provision. So Section 811 requires that a trustee take reasonable steps to enforce claims of the trust and then to defend claims against the trust. This is, you know, that's one of the reasons why you stay on the radio. You know, and you listen to these shows, things like that. This is one of the reasons why you stay diligent, um, you know, in your everyday activities. Because you have to take reasonable steps to make sure that you start, you stay educated on how to protect your trust and your assets and things like that. Okay? But Article 11, essentially, um, of the convention has a, a list of several attributes of trust that recognition of trust should imply. And I'm going to give them to you, right? Then we'll take a quick break and come back. So the first one is that personal creditors of the trustee do not have any resources against trust assets. Let me say that again because that's important. Personal creditors of the trustee do not have resources against the trust assets. What does that mean? That means that if the trustee owes a power bill or uh, a gas bill or some shit like that, Right, you can't come after the trust assets. This is one of the reasons why the trustee needs to become a member of the trust or an asset of the trust. I'm an asset of the trust. You can't come after me. So 
and and this is the reason why we used to do um long time ago when we first started doing a lot of this stuff we would tell people that you want to do ucc right and you want to claim yourself on the ucc as property because if if you own you and you owe and you owe yourself nobody else can come forth and say that you owe them because you owe yourself first nigga i don't owe you shit i owe myself i gotta pay me first before i can pay you that type of thing right this is important, okay? B, if the trust assets do not form part of the trustee's estate upon his insolvency or bankruptcy, right? C, if the trust assets do not form part of the matrimonial property of the trustee or his spouse of the trustee's estate. So if you're married and you have issues with your wife and things like that, and you've acquired a lot, uh, you've amassed a lot of capital. Right, and you plan on getting divorced or something like that. You you don't want to have to give your wife all of your shit or your husband all of your shit. This is why people do prenups, but even more so than prenups, you you, you got to be on top of this thing and make sure that everything's protected by the trust. Okay. D. The trust assets may be recovered when the trustee has mingled trust assets with his own property in breach of trust. Okay? So, as noted above, the Uniform Trust Section 507 provides that the trust property is not subject to personal obligations of the trustee, even if the trustee becomes insolvent or bankrupt, and thus uh, impediently not subject to claims of the trustee's heirs. Okay? But that, so there's that. All right? Article 12, and uh, then we'll take a break. Article 12 provides that where trustees desire to register assets, movable or immovable, or, or documents of title to them, aka your birth certificate, right? He shall be entitled insofar as this is not prohibited by or inconsistent with the laws of the state where registration is sought to do so in his capacity as a trustee or in any other such way that the existence of the trust is disclosed. So section 810 of the UTC requires a trustee to keep adequate records of the administration of the trust and to keep property separate from the trustee's own property. It's one of the reasons why the trustee gives all his property over to the, to his trust, especially if he's the settler of the trust. Then he's just using everything, right? Own nothing, control everything, that type of thing. Right? I heard a brother one time. He said, well, "Why would you never want to? Con- why would you never want to own anything and only control it?" This is what rich people do. Don't be a fool. Nobody can ever come after you if you don't own shit. Right? I don't own nothing. It's all in the trust name. It's all part of the trust. Now, if, if there's something that, that belongs to me that I'm supposed to own, give it to me and then I'll I'll put it into my trust. But don't withhold it from me. Okay? So the UTC section eight ten provides that a trustee shall cause the property excuse me, shall cause the trust property to be so designated that the trust interest of the trust 
to the extent feasible appears in records maintained by a party other than a trustee or beneficiary. Okay? All right. So we'll take a quick break because I got a lot more information to give you, um, which is I think is valuable um, for for those who are listening. All right. The chat is open. If you uh, want to hop in the chat and read that, press 1 to get in the call line. All right. Um, peace to the guy, Skylock. Yeah, I'll put the link in. I'll put the link in there for you. No problem. Um, give me. Matter of fact, I'll do that on the break. I'll put the link for the convention in the trust for uh, in the chat for you. All right. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Right here on the bottom line is Sunday. Call the numbers five one five six zero two nine seven nine three. Stay on the line. Don't go nowhere.
take out the dollar. Turn, turn it on the back side. Look up in the right-hand corner of over the eagle's head. What do you see? All right. As the law of correspondence, as above, so below, as within, so without, as without, so within. When you get power of the Spirit, from the Spirit, you have power in heaven, which is in mind, as well as power on the earth, which is in body. Very important to understand that because the power you're receiving is not to rule somebody else, it's to rule yourself. To heal yourself. To master yourself. To transform yourself. That's what power is for. Then, go heal someone else. If you need a patient, it is you. If you need some pupils, you got them. If you want to do any teaching, work on you. That's your goal. You are your own responsibility. The greatest, most important person you'll ever meet down here is you. You must save you. Even the sister that goes to church is saving herself. But there's so much more that you can do besides go to church. I don't not church. I'm glad it's there because it, it, it's a, a, a God sin and a God save for black folks. The church is an intricate part of our predicament in the Western Hemisphere. We are, most assuredly, as history relates, a spiritual people. Religion is the beginning of spirituality. Unfortunately, it appears it's becoming interference <laughs> until that reverend finds out more or lets folks know he knows more, one or the other. Some of them short step it. Some of them do know and not tell him. I don't want to get into that. I'm getting all off here. Okay.
Every Sunday from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on the bottom line with Joey L. On the new Evolution Radio Network. All right, we back. So let me um, let me digress right quick and go back to uh, Article 9 and 10, right? So I, went, I, I skipped over those, and I did that on purpose because Article 9, was the, they really they left it alone. They left it blank. Um, and... Essentially, uh, Article 10, they left it blank as well, right? And it dealt with the the law that was applicable to the validity of the trust, right? And they they didn't really they they for whatever reason they found a need to leave nine and ten alone. Okay, so we'll jump to twelve. Okay, twelve deals with the trust assets, right? Where ownership of assets. Uh, depend upon the entry in the register. So in England, right, and uh, just like a lot of other common law countries, in the interest of easy marketability of the trust property, the existence of trust is not allowed to be indicated on registers of land or of shares. Okay? Beneficiaries are essentially protected by the overreaching of their rights uh, detached on a sale from land or the shares and the attached to the proceeds and all of that stuff, right? So civil law states that, uh, however, knowing nothing 
of overreaching, right, wanted trust of assets only to be recognized as a valid trust on the insolvency of the trustee if the register indicates that the registered uh, proprietor was the trustee. Okay, so that's where Article 12 comes in. So the United Kingdom uh, felt basically no need for the protection of the article, and, and they excluded it when otherwise implementing the convention. Okay, so understanding that, you know, you know, places like Italy, right? There, there have uh, there's been over a hundred cases involving the, the convention, right? But no reliance has been placed upon Article 13, which which is the refuse to recognize the effects of a foreign trust. So Italy bring its own what they call trust in interni, right? Where every factor has been Italian except for the choices of foreign applicable law. So, you know, even the Italians have had to deal with this stuff, right? And so I, I, w- I want to make sure that it's clear because anywhere around the world, and anywhere and everywhere around the world, everything you see is a trust. Everything that you see is a trust. They you know, they take your signature, they securitize it, they take everything you do and they securitize it, and they create trust with the stuff. So the convention does not prevent the application of the provision of law, okay, which designates the rules and the conflicts of the form and all that stuff, right? Um, and essentially relating in particular to the following matters, right? So uh, the protection of minors and incapable parties, personal and proprietary effects of marriage, okay, secession rights, test state, in test state. Secession is when you pass something down from one individual to another, okay. Especially the uh indefeasible shares of spouses and relatives, okay. The transfer of title to property and security interest in property, creditors and matters of insolvency, okay. And then the protection in other uh, respects of third parties acting in good faith, so in recognition of trust and it's prevented by application, the preceding paragraphs and blah, 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 right, and all that good stuff. So understanding that, you you must understand how this stuff is set up, okay? So um, I'm going to go to Article 15, okay? Article 15 concerns the, the, what they call the domestic, which means at home, Mandatory rules of the jurisdiction designated by the forum's choice of laws. So Article 16 requires application of the forum's international mandatory rules that apply irrespective of the the PIO rule. So such a rule could prevent a beneficiary from becoming entitled to a heritage object or foreign exchange or weaponry or that are basically things that are subject to restrictions on import, export, things like that. Okay. So when you start reading these, you know, these different codes and stuff, you have to really understand the nature of the trust, right? Because if you don't understand the nature of your trust and how your trust is set up, right, it's going to be really hard to do an injunction for the trust, especially an injunction that protects you on an international level, okay? So it must be remembered that the United States started in 1776, and as a very loose confederation of independent states. So through the adoption of the United States Constitution, right, proposed to the states in 1787, the federal or the central government 
acquired broad powers to lead them to represent the United States in foreign affairs, including the power of the president of the United States, which basically acting with the advice and the consent of the U.S. Senate, they, they basically enter into binding international treaties on behalf of the United States. So understanding that they uh, put you into the United States at birth, right? You have a right to adopt these treaties. So the Constitution also conferred on the federal government other, quote, express powers to take action in matters both domestic and international concern, but left the balance of government power to rest in and be exercised by the states. Let me tell you something. States are egregious when it comes to trying to violate people's rights. This is the reason why you see things like what happened with, uh, uh, you know, segregation and Selma and, you know, desegregation, things like that, because the federal government had to step in because why? States were overstepping their boundaries and they were violating human rights. Okay? So throughout history, right, there's always been the debate about the implementation of uh, the allocation of powers between federal government and state governments with advocates for state governments often arguing that the federal government is illegitimately um, encroaching, if you will, right, on the areas of, of concern of the states. But if you look at the Constitution, it provides that um, together with the laws of the United States made pursuant to the Constitution and, quote, all treaties, all treaties which are made, okay, this, this includes the, the Hague Trust Treaty as well, right, under the authority of the United States should be the supreme law of the land. So if you look at the case of uh, Missouri versus Holland, right, perhaps the most important U.S. Supreme Court decision on the use of federal treaty power to affect areas of authority, usually considered reserved to the states, the U.S. Supreme Court, um, per Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes, and maybe I'll play that next week for you out of here, ruled that a treaty entered into between the United States and the United Kingdom to regulate the flight of migratory birds over the United States and Canada was a valid exercise of the treaty power, even if the regulation of wildlife had heretofore been generally uh, a matter regulated by the states. For whatever reason, they wanted to direct which direction birds go. It's crazy to me, right? But the Constitution, right, um, never prohibited them by the Constitution, right, limits the, the range of matters that can be subject to treaties entered into by the U.S. federal government and federal legislation. So understanding that when you are creating your trust, you must, you must put in there a provision um, where if everything else fails, you could use the Constitution. Because if the Tenth Amendment does not prescribe the exercise of the treaty power over the areas otherwise that are presumed left to the authority of the states under the Tenth Amendment, then the U.S. ratification of the Hague Convention on Trust should be perfectly legitimate exercise of treaty power. You understand why I'm telling you about the the Hague Convention now? This is about your treaty power. All right, so with that being said, um, I'm going to reserve the rest for next week. 
because there's a lot here, and I want to make sure I get to the call lines before um, this call is over. All right. So let's jump to nine two nine two six zero. You on the line? Peace to the guys. What up? What up? Peace to the guys. Um. So the trustee can put put stuff in the trust as well. These jobs. I don't, I, they protect the 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 um, property of the trust. They can be put property in the trust themselves. Yeah. So when you set up a trust, you have a you have a settler who creates the trust, which would be you. Okay. Then let's say that during that period of setting up the trust, you have your 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 son come in. Your son becomes a trustee. And you tell your son, look, I want you to take cars that we have and put the cars that we have into the trust, this trust property. Then your son comes in and he puts all the cars that you have into the trust. Right? He registers them in the trust as trust property. He's a trustee. That's his job. Then let's say that you have a trust protector. The trust protector will come in and make sure that the trustee did his job correctly. Does that make sense? Overstood. Overstood, Sensei. I was just, I want a clarification on that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Any other questions? Yeah, the website. Going on with Make More Commerce. Uh, Make More Commerce is under construction. That's why it's down right now. Working on putting some things Uh, up. Is it going to be ready before the seminar? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Peace, God. Yeah, you. But if there's, something that you, if there's something that you need before, then you can always holler at me um, in the private. Oh, shit. Your phone be on voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you tried to call me, huh? It was, was my phone on voicemail. Yeah. Somebody else said it, too. Yeah, I got two phones, so if I'm not on that one, I'm normally on another one. Oh, shit. Hey, yo, God. I got you, though. I, I will reach out to you, though, so we can wrap. All right, that's what it is. So I want to be clear, right? And, you know, the the topic tonight um, and what we're dealing with, right, is essentially how to do injunctions to your trust. Okay? So what I'm trying to help people understand is that you need to understand the Hague Convention on on trust so that you can do a trust injunction. And if you're at the seminar, I will will show you in detail how to do it, right? I'm not just going to, you know, I'm not just going to read shit to you. I'm going to show you how to do it. But one of the ways that you begin to do this, beginning to understand what international law is for your trust, okay? Because international law is important. How you set the trust up is important. Right? All right. So with that being said, um, if there's no more questions, we're going to chop it out of here. Uh, I'll be on the air this week. We'll be, I, I, I did not. I know people were looking for the metaphysics show last week. We'll start that show this week. 
Um, and we will be back on Open Forum Friday this week as well. Um, so I hope to I hope to have y'all there. Hope that y'all listen and tune in. Um, Dr. Offset's show is also uh, every Wednesday. Make sure you check her show out. Right? We appreciate her presence. Um, other than that, man, I'm going to say peace to the gods. All right, make sure that you get you a copy of, and if you're not in the chat, there's, there's a link for it in the chat. Make sure that you get a copy of that. Right? It's available to download PDF and all that good stuff, right? Um, I don't own it. It's not mine, but, you know, you can get you a free copy all right, of the head, the head convention on uh, the conference and, uh, and all that stuff on private international law and trust and all that good stuff, all right? All right, so with that being said, man, we're going to get up out of here. Uh, next week, hopefully, if we don't have no problems, we will start right away. All right. And with that being said, um, you listen to the bottom line. I'm your host, Joey Balance, LFA. We say peace to the gods. Start it. Start it from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team fucking here. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team here, nigga. Started from the bottom, now we here. Started from the bottom, now. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.